Good morning. Good morning. I'm laughing because uh, I saw somebody over there doing a dance to that cool groove of the video we just saw together. It's a cool video. Uh, good morning. Welcome to everybody in the room joining us today. And welcome, of course, to everybody online who's joining us as well. Glad that you chose to be here and be with us. I'm just going to say it. We have a ton of scripture, a lot, a lot of scripture coming at you today. So we're going to dive right in. We're in Luke chapter 15. So turn with me there. If you're using a house Bible, Luke chapter 15 starts on page 868. We're going to be taking a look at one of the most beloved parables of all time, the parable of the prodigal son. We're in our third week of our Hope Month series, which this year has been centered on healing the broken place of separation from God. We've described it as the granddaddy of all the six broken places because it is the broken place that leads to all of the other areas of brokenness in our world. We as a people have fallen away from who God created us to be. And as a result, we've broken the world. We broke the world, that's the bad news. But there's good news, there's good reason that we call this Hope Month. And that's because hope is alive because God is alive. He is moving and he's healing our broken world. He is intervening, his light is breaking through the darkness and that's not just some cliche, I am seeing it. I'm seeing his light break through everywhere, the hope of God, the light of Christ, breaking through the darkness. And I am really, really excited to bring you this message today. The good news has me all fired up, and I'll tell you why a little bit later, but before that, let's pray, and let's dig into the word. Lord, would you speak to us now through your word, which is alive. You are the living word, and you have a word for us today. And so we come, Lord, expectant. We come humbly. We come with our hearts and our ears and our minds open to what your Holy Spirit would say to us today. Move through this place and speak now by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray in your name. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 15, and the meat of our story starts down at verse 11. But if we were to start there, we would read... To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And we'd have to stop right away and ask a clarifying question. To illustrate what point? What point was Jesus trying to further illustrate by telling us this story? The parable of the prodigal son was a response to what happened in verse 1 of this chapter. So we got to go back up to verse 1. And there we read, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. And that's how it reads in our house Bible. That's the, the New Living Translation. But I wanted you to hear it slightly differently this morning because I really like the way the Message Bible sets the stage for, for this part. It reads, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation hmm, were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and he eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. 
Their grumbling triggered this story. So we've set the stage. Jesus is speaking, and as usual, he has an audience. His audience is made up of two kinds of people. There are men and women of questionable reputation who have gathered to listen intently to the teachings of Jesus. But these were known sinners, notorious sinners as we read, social outcasts. And Jesus was speaking to them, even eating with them, treating them as though they were old buddies. And that's the part that really angered his other audience, the highly educated religious scholars, the self-righteous Pharisees. They were not there to listen. They wanted to hear him teach, but only so that they could catch him saying something that they could use to discredit him. They didn't truly want to listen, they wanted to complain. And it was that complaining, that grumbling, that prompted Jesus to tell this story, to tell three stories, to be exact. What followed was a trilogy of stories all about something that had gone missing, but was ultimately safely recovered, something that had been lost, but found. A lost sheep. That line we just sang about a few moments ago, leaving the 99 behind to go after the one, that's right here in Luke 15, verse four. The story of the lost coin, that part about the angels rejoicing in heaven when even one sinner comes to repentance, that's right here, Luke 15, verse 10. Through the art of storytelling, Jesus is making the truth come to life in a new way. He responds to the grumbling of the Pharisees by telling them about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a passionate search, a passionate pursuit for that which had been lost, and a joyful public celebration when what was lost was finally found. Lost and then found. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Now we commonly refer to this parable as that of the prodigal son, and it is that by definition. Prodigal is a person who spends money in a reckless and extravagant way. And we will see that in the story, we'll see some reckless spending in the story. But remember that this is the third installment in a series of stories about lost things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Lost means unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts, confused, adrift, off track, and astray. And so with that in mind, let's read what Jesus has to tell us through the parable of the lost son. Starting in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And here's where we have to remember Jesus' audience because already the scandal of this younger son's request would have gotten their attention immediately for the son to demand his share of the inheritance before the father died was like saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, just give me what's mine now. I don't wanna have to sit around and wait for you to die. With that amount of disrespect, an ancient audience might have expected the father to disown the son or to send him away, but the father 
does not respond in anger. Instead, he agrees and he divides his wealth between both of his sons. As was customary, the older son would have received the larger share of the inheritance, two-thirds of his father's wealth, and the younger son would have received one-third. So we keep reading in verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. This is where we get the name prodigal son. He was out there living wild, throwing all caution to the wind and blowing, blowing his entire inheritance in some far off land. He wanted adventure. He had no intentions of returning home. Verse 13 says he packed up all of his belongings. He didn't leave anything behind that would tie him to his old way of life or to his family. He was gone for good. Gone for good. That is until the party was over and he suddenly got hit with a double dose of reality. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He is flat broke and he's hungry. So hungry that even the carob pods that the pigs were eating looked good to him, but no one gave him anything, not even that. That means that the pigs' lives were worth more than his was in this moment. This for him was absolute rock bottom. Now this is a parable, and that means it's a story, a story with a lesson. And there were other parables floating around in the ancient world, other parables that might have ended right there. The moral of the story being, don't be like that guy. Don't be like that guy. Don't disrespect your father. Don't abandon your family and your responsibilities, and don't waste all your money on wild living, or else you'll end up like that guy, destitute, living lower than the pigs. Mm -mm -mm. Don't be like that guy. The end. But Jesus' parable does not stop there. We keep reading in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, and I'm gonna pause us right there. Nobody argued this man back home to his father. I'm gonna say that again. Nobody argued this man back home to his father. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead 
and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Verse 20 says, he returned home to his father. The Greek there translates, having risen up, I will go to the father. That word for risen up is the same word we see later on in Luke where he writes that on the third day, Jesus will rise again. Having risen up, I will go to the Father. Where other parables of this time would have stopped with the son's destitution, Jesus' parable is a celebration of the son's resurrection from death to life. Having risen up, I will go to the Father. He rose up from a path that would have ultimately led to his death and his demise, but instead he chose a path that would ultimately lead him back home to the love of the Father and abundant life. He made his way home to the Father. And the scriptures say that while he was still afar off, that is my favorite line in this beautiful story, while he was still afar off, the father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Running to his son like that, in Jesus' day, dignified men wearing robes did not run. That would have been humiliating in their culture. But this father didn't care about his own dignity at that moment. He didn't care who saw him. By the way, that's where we get the song Reckless Love. He ran, he, he set his own reputation aside to run recklessly, foolishly, humiliatingly run to his son. He ran a distance to greet him and not with a stiff-lipped, well, what do you have to say for yourself? Not with a stiff lip, but with a kiss. And not with his arms folded waiting for his son to explain where he has been all this time, but with an open armed embrace. The love of this father, the compassion, the picture that Jesus is painting for us with this story is so vivid. He's painting a picture of the heart of the father for his lost son. His heart is love, but it's lavish love. It's unmerited love. Now, I think it's important to note that this lost son was not discreetly and quietly let back into his father's good graces. There was nothing hush-hush about this prodigal's return. He was welcomed back with a grand celebration on the scale of, say, a wedding or some other community-wide feast. They killed the fatted calf. That meant there was enough food to feed the entire village. It was a special occasion. They weren't having chicken for dinner tonight. This was a filet mignon level celebration. And there was music and there was dancing and it was loud. It was loud. We see in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, 
But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We finally hear the voice of the elder brother who'd been part of the story from the very beginning, by the way. A man had two sons and the father's inheritance had been divided between his two sons. But while one son ran away and wasted it all on wild living, the other son, had been faithfully slaving away at the homestead, or at least that's how he saw it. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and you never even gave me a goat. You hear his indignant tone, he is put out. He believes that this celebration is grotesquely unjust. He is the one who deserves to be celebrated. How dare his father welcome such a filthy sinner? He'd been feeding pigs for goodness sakes. He is ceremonially unclean. How dare his father eat with him, much less throw a party and invite the entire village? But right at this moment, in the heat of his son's anger, we hear the heart of the father again. And this time, for his older son, the faithful, loyal, hardworking, albeit self-righteous son. And the father speaks gently, calling him dear son and reminding him that everything he has belongs to him as well. He reminds him of the bond between the two brothers and how it's only right to celebrate because that's what you do when someone who has gone missing returns home safely. That's what you do when someone who was lost is finally found. That's what you do when the dead come back to life. That is just what you do. You celebrate resurrection. You celebrate repentance. You celebrate restoration. That is just what we do, son. It is only right to celebrate. Now we're having a resurrection party in here. He says to his son, are you coming? Are you coming? The father loves both of his sons. The father pursues both of his lost sons. Lost, unable to find their way, not knowing their whereabouts, confused, adrift, off track, astray. One had gotten off track because of his own rebellious sin and the other because of his own self-righteous sin. Remember that Jesus was speaking to two audiences that day, notorious sinners and self-righteous scholars. Both of them, both audiences were represented in the story of the lost son because both of them, both audiences were themselves lost sons. And Jesus who said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was right there, the heart of the Father, God in the flesh, Jesus in loving pursuit of that which was lost. Poor prodigals and self-righteous saints, both of them unable to find their way. Confused, adrift, off track, just lost. 
sinners and saints, the Father loves them both. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I said earlier that I'm excited to bring you this message today, and I really am. Hope has me all fired up, and it's because of something that happened in the very first week of this series. A few weeks ago, right after the very first message of this Hope Month series, I was singing the closing song, Tears of the Saints by Leland. And this was the service where we closed by inviting all of you to write down the name of someone that you love, someone that you are praying for, and you wrote them over here on these hope walls. And for this entire month of September, these walls would stand to remind us of what is at stake, remind us of why Hope Month exists, what we're doing here to remind us that we are God's ambassadors to the lost people in our lives. We represent God to them, and we represent them back to the Father in prayer. The song had barely begun. I'd barely sung the first line when I watched so many of you that day rise up from where you were sitting and come all the way down here to the front and stand in line to write the names of the people that you are praying for, the people that you love, the lost sons and daughters and friends and neighbors and family members in your lives. And I wish that I could tell you standing here that in that moment, my first reaction was hopeful, but it wasn't. What I felt in that moment watching this wave of you come forward, I felt overwhelmed and I felt this sinking despair. I felt the exact opposite of hope. The need at that moment watching all of you come forward just felt so great. The mountain so high to climb, so many lost sons and daughters, so many names being written down, so many people crying, literally crying for their loved ones to come back home to the love of the Father. And then at 9.15 I saw a couple that I've been praying with over the last couple of months and I know their story. I know how their heart breaks for their prodigal and I saw them standing and worshiping and weeping over their lost son and I wept with them. I started to weep and a fear and a dread came over me. This is too big for me, God. This is too big for us, God. This broken place, the granddaddy of them all, is just too big. It's overwhelming. And right then is when the voice of the Holy Spirit cut through the noise. In that moment of desperation only three Sundays ago as I looked out over this room and I saw your tears, I heard the Holy Spirit say to my heart, remember your brother. I have an older brother and for years, for decades, he was our family's lost son. But God has been doing a work in my brother's life that is nothing short of miraculous. Only as of about the last three years. By the way, uh, I use his image with permission. As I looked around the room and I watched you write down the names of your friends and your loved ones, and as I sang about the lost coming home, I was reminded of my own brother and hope 
Hope filled my whole heart in that moment. Just like that, the tide shifted, the despair was lifted, and I began to cry happy tears. I began to cry yes God tears because I suddenly realized that I have already witnessed what can happen when out of the blue God's light comes rushing into dark places and a lost son comes to his senses and rises up and returns to the love of the Father. And because of that, because of what I've seen in my own family, I can believe God for your prodigal to come home. I have seen resurrection from death to life, from what seems hopeless to what now seems like hope without limits. Hope is alive because God is alive. He is moving and he is healing our broken world. In light of what we're talking about all month, healing the broken place of separation from God and being God's ambassadors to those who are lost, in light of all of this, I spoke with my brother last week and I asked him, in a time when so many are deconstructing their faith and turning away from the love of the Father, what in the world would make you turn to him in your 40s? In a time when so many are deconstructing, was it a, single, a singular moment? Was there a catalytic event of some kind? What would make you turn your heart toward the Father? And he said it wasn't a singular event. He said that growing up, the truth had been ingrained into our souls. And he's absolutely right about that. But listen to his words. I took notes as fast as I could while we were talking. He said, you know, I'm stubborn and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. He said, when we were growing up, I thought, once I get out of here, I'm gonna live my own life. And my friends, that's exactly what my brother did. He partied hard. He partied hard for a long time. But during that time, there was a struggle within him because the truth of God's word had been ingrained in his heart. I asked him if he ever heard that still small voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit while he was out there living wild. And he said, even in my darkest days, I would know that I wasn't living the right way, almost denying that voice. I heard it, and I knew that what I was about to do was wrong, but I just kept doing what I wanted anyway. But listen to the hope in what he said next. (laughs) He said, but Jesus said he'll never leave us or forsake us, so... Never is never. But you can ignore his voice, and and when you start living in sin, it's easy to stay there. But he said he'd never leave us or forsake us, so never must mean never. And maybe you're in that mode right now. Maybe you're in prodigal mode, ignoring what you know in your heart to be true, that our Father God is loving and that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek you? Or do you feel like God has abandoned you or that somewhere along the way he forgot about you? Please let me gently remind you of what my brother is only just now discovering to be true. Jesus said he will never leave us or forsake us and so never is never. Never means not ever. No matter where you've been, No matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter who you have become along the way, sinner or saint, 
The father never leaves his children behind. Never, not ever. One more story about my brother. He said that his church recently did this cool thing where they wrote down the names of three people and they put those names on a board which would stand in the lobby and be on display all year long. The challenge was simple. Over the course of this next year, pray for those three people, show them love, and invite them to church. And so my brother, who goes to church now, my brother wrote down the names of three people and he invited them to church. And to his total surprise, the very next week, two of them came to church with him, a coworker and a couple that he and his wife are friends with. They've got little kids and they brought their whole family to church. And this just blew my brother's mind to see God moving that way and so quickly. They came the very next week. He said God just keeps surprising him with cool stuff. I love the way he said that. So what did it? What was the thing that made my prodigal brother rise up from his dark pit and return to our father? He said, I don't really have a cool epiphany story. I just got tired of my way and I wanted to try it his way. So I just did it. And as I did, more and more prayers were answered and cool stuff started to happen. Blessings and things of that nature just started happening. Now, my brother has a relatively thick Chicago accent, so he said, you know, blessings and, and things of that nature started to happen. I, my heart is just so full talking to him. He said, it makes me wonder, man, where would my life be if I would have started this 10 years ago? He said, now I feel like I can't fail. I know that there's gonna be more struggles and I know that more things are gonna happen, but it's to the point where I don't wanna go back. And it took a while to feel that way, but my family, my wife, my relationship with my wife, my kids, my job, our friends, their kids, it's just one thing after another. This is the cool stuff he's talking about. And he said, no real big thing happened. Maybe it was just time. Maybe it was just time. Thank you, God. My friends, hope is alive because God is alive and he is moving and he's healing our broken world. My brother Jason is just one example, but he is living proof he was my one for decades, y'all, for decades, over many years, and his resurrection came when he wasn't even looking for it. Praise God. And you know what? That's how it was for my mom. That's how it was for my dad. That's how it was for my brother-in-law. That's how it was for me and so many others in my family. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he sought us when we were lost, even when we weren't looking for him. I wanna share this hope with you. Trust and believe and have faith that Jesus seeks after us even when we are not looking for him. He lifts us up out of whatever pit we're in. And when we make that choice in our hearts and in our minds to rise up and return to the Father, immediately, without hesitation, the Father runs to us. 
And he lifts us from a path that would ultimately lead to our death and destruction. And he establishes us firmly on the only path. There is but one path. And he establishes us firmly on the one path that leads to his love and his eternal, abundant life. He does that. His spirit does that. If you're in need of hope today, rise up and go to the Father. He loves you and he will receive you and he will be near you. That embrace between the Father and the Son, there is no distance between the Father and the Son. He will run to you and there will be no distance between you and your Father. And if you're praying for someone who's been separated from God, for those of you who are still waiting for your prodigals to come home, all of these names that we wrote down, take heart. Hope is alive because God is alive. He is moving and he is healing our broken world and you are his advocate. You represent God to your lost ones and you represent your lost ones back to God So pray, pray and call on others to pray with you for your loved one, for your family member, for your friend, for your coworker. Rise up and go to the Father on their behalf and trust that he hears you. Even if you don't see the impact of your prayers automatically. My mom died in 2019. She didn't get to see the full transformation that's happened in my brother's life. But I can promise you she never stopped praying. Don't grow weary. Keep representing your loved one. Keep representing your one to the Father. Take heart. God is not finished yet. He's not done yet. And if you are confused today, if you find yourself feeling adrift or off track, if you feel lost, don't wait. Maybe it's just time. Right now can be the moment that you choose to rise up and go to your Father. His heart for you is extravagant love. His compassion toward you is steadfast and unwavering. It's always been there, no matter where you've been. And it's still there for you, no matter who you've become. Saint or sinner, hope is alive because God is alive. Next week, we're gonna celebrate that hope with baptisms. If you haven't been baptized or if you, if you feel like you've been separated from God and you wanna recommit yourself to following him and to do so in a public way, come next week and be baptized. Like the prodigal son, rise up, repent, and turn. Rise up and turn toward the love of the Father. Return, return to the love of the Father. And we will have a grand old celebration. All of us together rejoicing that what was once lost has now been found and what was once dead has been brought back to life because that's what you do. You celebrate resurrection. You celebrate restoration. My friends, hope is alive because God is alive. He is moving and I know because he is in our midst, I know that he is moving on your heart right now and he's bringing healing with him. Thank you, God. Hope is alive. Let's pray.
We celebrate your resurrection and that through your resurrection, we too can be brought from death to life, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what has happened along the way. Father God, your love is relentless. Your love is ridiculous that you would run and set aside your own dignity to run to sinners like us. You don't ask us where we've been. You just embrace us. Lord, I pray that you'd remind each one of us who call you Father, remind us of what you did for us. Remind us, take us back to the moment, the moments, plural, Lord, where we have felt your love, your unearned love. Remind us of that, Lord. Set our hearts on fire to share that love, to represent you to our lost ones. Give us your heart, give us your heart. And for those who are still adrift, Lord, would you run to them, throw your arms around them, embrace them, let there be no distance between you and them, Father God. And for those of us who are still praying for our lost ones to come home, Give us courage and help us to trust that you are not done yet. Give us courage, remind us again and again and again to represent them back to you, Lord, in prayer. Help us not to grow weary in the waiting. Help us not to grow weary in the waiting, but to trust that you are the God who sees. Move by the power of your Holy Spirit through this worshiping body, through this church and through our world. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.